Hello, and welcome to this week's episode of Lit AF with me, your host, Sarah Cohan. As always, I'm so excited to be back here with you this week talking about personal and spiritual growth conversations for the recovering insecure attachment type. I hope that's you. It's definitely me. And you know what? Actually, today we're going to go a little bit outside of the norm, and we're going to talk about overturning of Roe v. Wade and how that's affected a few women. So it's a little bit, you know, off the beaten path, (laughs) but I think it's so incredibly, incredibly important, especially right now. It was overturned a few months ago, and so I feel like the conversation has dwindled a little bit, and it's still something that is super, super important to me. Women's rights, women's sexual health is so incredibly important to me, Avi, and it should be important to all of us. So today I interview a few women that were affected by Roe v. Wade. Uh, One of them shares their abortion story. Another one shares just the impact that it's had on her. And she recently spoke at a rally. So we're including a couple of those clips that are so inspiring. And I just love this conversation today because... It really touches on just so many different points of why abortion rights are so incredibly important. So for today's check-in, I'm going to start by actually sharing my own abortion story. And it's really important for me to share this because it was quite unexpected. I'm sure as most abortions are. Even though it was very much part of the medical process, there were still so many parts of it where I really felt so much guilt and shame about going through that process. So I'll just kick it off by saying almost two years ago, I experienced a silent miscarriage. And what that means is that I miscarried probably around eight weeks, something like that. But I didn't find out that I had miscarried until 12 weeks. And I was nervous to be pregnant, but excited and like, you know, trying to comprehend the big change that was happening in my life. And I was pretty shocked when I went to the doctor and found out that I had miscarried. I felt so much immediate shame for being disconnected from my body, like not being aware that I wasn't pregnant anymore to me was like I had some stories in there and and it meant that, you know, I wasn't intuitive. I wasn't in touch with what's going on. And (laughs) it's funny looking back now, right? Time heals so much that it's a little sad to me that that was my reaction because I had never been pregnant before. I didn't know what it was like. I didn't know the sensations. I just thought I was having a super easy pregnancy. And many women have super easy pregnancies. I mean, it's ideal, right? It's it's what you want. <laughs> and so that was my first like initial just straight up emotional reaction. It was, I can't believe um, that I'm so out of touch with my body. And then as I went through the process, I mean, it was just so surreal to be in the doctor's office, walking in thinking I'm pregnant, you know, coming to terms with the fact that I was pregnant. And then, cause I really wasn't planning. Like it was, I was not planning on getting pregnant at all. It just kind of happened. And then all of a sudden being like, you're not pregnant anymore. <laughs> what a loss, like so much loss there. It's so much loss. I mean, just creating life is 
so precious in, in such a portal. And so is a loss of life. I mean, it's a similar portal and they're connected. And so my first pregnancy experience, I also experienced a, just an incredible well of grief and loss. And the doctor recommended immediately that I get an abortion to just remove every all the stuff that was in my uterus. And I chose to do um, the pill, the abortion pill. I just can't explain to you the amount of shock that I was in. And I've come to realize that when I experience something like this, my natural reaction is I need to cry, but I have to cry alone. And I, because as a dismissive avoidant, being vulnerable and sharing feelings and emotions is just like not safe. And so the safe thing for me to do was go to the bathroom, cry <laughs> as fast as possible. And the doctor just, you know, she was like, I got to go get some stuff. I'll be right back. And it just felt like she was there for ages. And I'm like, I just need to be alone. But she wrote the prescription for the pill and I went to go pick it up from the nurse's station. I think that's where I was. I don't really know. And the person who gave it to me gave me a talk. And Megan talks about this later in this episode, which I really appreciate because there's so much shame in the process of getting an abortion, even if the abortion is for a dead fetus. Like it, it, It's unavoidable. It's just such a, a really hard, scary thing. So the person who gave it to me administer, administered the first pill to me who's like, okay, so you know after you take this that it's really gone. And I was just like, are you fucking kidding me? First of all, that is the most insensitive way to say, you're sure you want to make this decision if I was actually pregnant. And then second of all, I wasn't fucking pregnant anymore. So I think I said something. I wish that I had a little more sass in that moment, but I was literally grieving. And I just said, it's gone already. And he's like, you know, his whole face changed as soon as I said that. And those, like, those are the moments that like, get they get you during this whole thing like when you walk to that abortion clinic and there's protesters when they give you the speech about like are you sure you're making the right decision like it's so intense and filled with these moments of like can we put a little more shame on you like if you're already putting some shame on yourself like let's pour a little more on and so it was so tough and so scary finally got to get to the bathroom and cry and grapple. I mean, as soon as I cried, I was just like, okay, this is, it's like, I have to have that moment before I can um, start to move forward and, and like do some action, if that makes sense. So I came home, I prepared to, to take it because I was going to take it the next day or no, I had taken the first, it's like a two-step thing. You take pills first and then the next day you take another pill. And, you know, I was just kind of preparing to do, do the second pill and I started having what are similar to contractions after I took the second pill and they really hurt. <laughs> it's making me scared for pregnancy or for the birth, let me tell you. I think it lasted in total like 4 hours, something like that. And as I was just shedding the li- like shedding the lining of my uterus, it just stuff was coming out and it, it felt very real, very 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 real. I know that's that's pretty raw, uh, pretty gross, but it's the truth. We're all human. So it was a tough experience. My husband came home to grieve with me. He really took care of me that week, which was so incredibly sweet. And yeah, I think I bled through like, I don't even remember, but it was like a pad every 30 minutes or an hour. It was just like a constant stream 
I will say too that I did take they gave you they gave me medication in case or they gave me some painkillers in case the pain was too much and I and I took them and it it I just couldn't feel anything after that. Totally understand opioid addictions at that point. I was like, wow. <laughs> a second ago, I was just fucking grieving, and now I feel like I'm floating on a cloud and everything's fine. So scary stuff. But yeah, I share that because I wasn't planning on getting pregnant. I wasn't planning on miscarrying. I wasn't planning on getting an abortion. And I got to experience all of those things. And I'm very much pro-babies. Like I am pregnant right now, and I'm can't wait to have this child. And I know that I wasn't really ready the last time around. I, I would have I would have gotten ready, but at that time I wasn't really ready. So it's a lot to grapple with. And I just I hate to think that anyone who has miscarried and needs to remove what is in their uterus doesn't have access to that. I mean this is this is medically important. Also, something interesting that came up w- during my visit was my doctor told me that the healthcare industry uses the word miscarriage and abortion synonymously. And I was just like, wow, it's almost the same word, basically. Like, why are we, why is one so charged <laughs> and politicized if they're the same exact procedure? It just, that didn't, that didn't make any sense to me. So, Who's to say that even if you did get an abortion that you weren't going to miscarry later? Who knows? You know, birth and life are complicated and and we don't, we unpredictable. There's very unpredictable. That's the only consistent thing about it. (laughs) Thank you. (laughs) All right. So that's in for my check-in today. That's my abortion story. I'm honored to share it with you. I, I go into a full podcast episode about this if you're interested in checking that out. It's my abortion miscarriage story. I'll link it below. But for this episode, I'm really, really excited to introduce you to Ashley Robinson. She is an ecofeminist artist, mama, wife, Harley rider, and lover of The Bachelorette. She's the owner of Type A Design Studios, and she's also starting a new venture called Coran Baby, which is all about sustainable supplies for your baby. Um, she's looking for business partners if you're interested. I'll provide more information at the end of the show. But first, I just want to get into clips. So she recently spoke at an abortion rights rally in Baltimore. And it's such the words she shared were so incredibly powerful. So here's a clip of her speaking at um, an abortions rights rally. The power that we have means just like so many of the amazing people that spoke before me said, we have to use our voices. And for so long, the people on the other side of this issue try to silence our voices by using shame. But the thing that they don't realize either is that shame cannot withstand support. And everybody here, you are all giving me the strength to say this, to be in front of you today. I have never spoken out like this before. need the world to be a better place for my daughter. There was a moment, and mom, if you're seeing this, I'm sorry this is how you're finding out. When I was a teenager, 
white men were my friends. I trusted them. I was drugged and raped by them. I woke up the next morning late to a church event I was supposed to be at with my family. I had so many missed calls on my phone. I had no idea what would happen to me. And I told no one. friends drugged and raped me and I told no one. All of you outside of my therapist and my husband are the first people to know that about me. I want my baby to be able to come up to me and say, Mom, I know you're a safe place. This is what happened, but guess what? I don't want her to ever have to fucking say that to begin with. But I know how important it is for women and for marginalized communities to have a safe space. And that's what this is. We are fighting for a safe space. And that is what we need to keep doing. Thank you. All right, Ashley, welcome to the show. I'm so excited to have you here today. Thank you, Sarah. So I just want to share the backstory about how this came to be. So Ashley reached out because she had attended an abortion rights rally in Baltimore, right when um, Roe v. Wade was overturned. And you got up and spoke at this rally, which was so powerful. I mean, you just, you spoke your truth. You really rallied the crowd. It was really fun to watch from my point of view anyway. (laughs) So I just thought we could kind of talk today about Roe v. Wade and what, like, what happened? Let's unpack that. (laughs) And, And like, what are the, I think the ripple effects that we're seeing from it? I'd love to talk about that. So I would just start, I just want to start with like, how did that overturning of Roe v. Wade affect you? I was with my mom most of the day and she said, I can't believe you haven't said anything to me about this yet. You must not have looked at the news. And I don't, I have purposefully turned off notifications on my phone because I just, I can't handle that right now. I need to be prepared for it now. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. So I didn't know. And she said, well, I'm not going to tell you because you'll be pissed off the whole rest of the day. (laughs) (laughs) Oh my God, cryptic. So I was like, well, now I have to know. I was like, no, you're right. Don't tell me. I'll don't tell me. Wow. So when I got home, like, oh my God, what is this? And then I was just immediately enraged. Like, this is, it's just not fucking okay. And I had to do something, even if it was just attend this rally that was orchestrated so quickly outside of the courthouse in Baltimore City. I got on my motorcycle. I rode down there. And... I, love that. I love that part of the story. It's my favorite part. <laughs> <laughs> Thank you. It's so good. And I was watching and it was surprisingly calming. Everyone there, you could feel the, it was, it was a somberness, but a togetherness. So there was like a weight to the energy and everybody was kind of being like politely kind to each other as we're like walking around. There's people with dogs, people with kids and like you know, how we live. <laughs> right. Yep. Mm-hmm. They asked if anyone else wanted to come up to speak to please come talk to the organizer and she'll put your name on the list. 
And I immediately thought to myself, I have to say something. I cannot not say anything. I, I had nothing planned. I didn't know anyone at the rally. Part of that, it made it easier, right? Like I totally, I don't know anybody there. Come to find out after I speak, there's people coming up to me and hugging me, complete strangers. And like, we're all in mass, but that's very, like, that's how powerful the energy was that even in this time of, we're like still in this pandemic, we're in the city, we're strangers, we're hugging each other because everybody felt for each other so much. One of the women that came up to me was my cousin. Whoa. And that's when I really just lost, lost it and started crying and she started crying and I had no idea she was there. She didn't know I was there. And it was the first time that we had shared with each other. And we aren't that close, but that was the first time either one of us shared with each other that we had had been sexually assaulted. Mm. The fucked up part is that I wasn't surprised that she told me that. Whoa. Was it like, what was the reaction? Was it like, this is normal or not normal, but you know what I mean? Like so common. I wasn't surprised because I feel that most of the people there probably have been sexually assaulted in some way or have had some sexual trauma, whether that is through an abortion or through some horrible thing that happened. The people that are there that much have some kind of skin in the game. And I also, she speaks out through social media and about her feminist views. And she's really the only person in my family that does it on the same kind of outspoken level. So anyway, that's why I wasn't surprised. I always, always have been pro-choice. And part of me never even understood why it was such a core belief that I just knew. And when I got pregnant, I also knew that I wanted to have that baby. This is not about babies. And a lot of people that I've talked to that are pro-life think that we all want to kill babies. We don't. It's nothing to do with babies. It is everything to do with control over our womb, over our uterus, over our body. Getting pregnant in 2019 and then having my baby in February of 2020, right before the lockdowns happened, I thought the only thing I was gonna have to worry about was like ice on the road or anything. I was supposed to have my, my baby in a hospital in DC, Washington Hospital Center with my midwives. It caught on fire, the entire maternity ward. The week that I was scheduled to deliver, I couldn't deliver there. No one that week could deliver at Washington Hospital Center. All of the other hospitals that supported midwifery in DC were filled. When I went into labor, I had to go to an ultra conservative hospital that I previously went to and I had to sign away my rights. This is in DC. This is in Maryland. To all of the representatives that are here for elected officials, especially the white men, I ask you with your privilege to take a step back Take the chip off your shoulder and see how you can treat your women in your state better because it's not good enough yet. I have a core belief around this that pro-choice does not mean anti-baby. In fact, a lot of people would say that 
pro-life is very much not pro-life because it's putting living humans with wombs in danger instead of giving them a safe place to have con- and have control over their body and make a decision that's best for them. In fact, I almost see it as pro-choice is empowering women the most, supporting women the most, and also supporting children the most. It really is because if a woman feels so strongly or anyone that is able to get pregnant feels so strongly that, that I cannot bring this baby into the world, they should not be forced to have a bring, bring a baby into the world regardless. That is not, from the beginning, it's not healthy. And it just sets, sets us up as a society and as a people and as a species for so much ongoing trauma that is so unnecessary. Agreed. There's such a ripple effect. Yeah. Freakonomics Radio, I'll link this below, but Freakonomics Radio has a great podcast about how crime rates have gone down since abortion was legalized and like mass mass murderers, like the Zodiac Killer, what, what, it, what is that called? I can't remember. Oh, serial killers? Serial killers like have yeah. like completely disappeared since abortion. I mean, obviously we have other problems like gun control and <laughs> right, right. many other things. I'm not saying that everything has been magically fixed, but so much has, uh, so much crime has gone down since abortion was legalized. And um, so much actual like, like what women used to lose their lives over getting abortions. I think that to me is like the biggest harm that is happening with this overturning, especially in conservative states is like women will go. It's not that like, you're not going to not get an abortion. You're going to go to very, and you know, of course, it's poor women that are getting hit the most by this, right? This is not privileged women that we're talking about that can fly to another state and afford to pay for care and services they need. It is women of color. It is, you know, people that identify as other, but like they have a uterus. Like these are the people that are going to extreme measures to get abortions done, whether that's from an illegal clinic or an at-home procedure, like it is, it is so harmful to their bodies. And there's a wonderful documentary on HBO. I think it's called The Janes, where they follow in the '70s a group of women that offered abortions to the community. Oh, I need to watch this. Oh my god, it's so good. But the sad thing, like when I watched it, it was before Roe v. Wade was overturned, and then the next week Roe v. Wade was overturned, and I found out through. Glennon Doyle posted something super oh, cryptic. God. It was just like, I, my heart is with you, whatever you're feeling today. And I was just like, fuck, I know exactly what this means. Ugh. And then I just started crying. I just like saw the news, started crying. And I just thought like, did we learn nothing? So in this documentary in the Janes, they talk about how Cook County Hospital had the sepsis maternity ward or something like that. So these women would come in with sepsis, which means that like you've got some something in your body that shouldn't and it's poisoning your body from getting these illegal abortions because they had no other alternative. And it's just like as soon as Roe v. Wade was overturned, they closed that wing. Like they didn't need that floor anymore because those women weren't turning to like these extreme measures. It's a crazy, crazy documentary. I highly recommend it to anyone listening, but 
to me, it's like, how can we moving forward focus on the fact that we need to be supporting women and people with uteruses through through this safe, like, you know, sexual safety and health safety. Like, those are the things we want to be focused on. Thank you so much, Ashley, for your vulnerability and for sharing on the show. It was such a blast talking to you. And next up, I want to introduce Megan Sprague. She's been on the Lit AF podcast a few times. Megan is an animal medicine woman, herbalist, self-trust, and an intuition coach. And she just has an incredible story of how she experienced abortion in Alaska. So we'll kick it off from here. I would love to hear uh, where you were kind of in your life before you got an abortion. Okay. I know that this episode is about Roe v. Wade. So one of the things that Roe v. Wade has supported for people is access to contraceptives, anything reproductive Mm -hmm. related. So before I had an abortion at 22 years old, I had been on birth control probably since I was age 15 because my sister had endometriosis. So my mom just naturally ended up putting me on it. When I got pregnant accidentally, I was in the middle of a cross country move with my ex-boyfriend who turned out to be um, abusive. He had untreated bipolar disorder. Um, He was also medicating with alcohol. Um, He was an alcoholic and I was a baby. I was a, I was like 22 and a couple months. And we were, we had just kind of burned everything to the ground at where we had been living before. That was our style, (laughs) um, which I now know is quite toxic and controlling. And in the middle of this move, we stopped in Las Vegas. Or, Or I should also preface this with, I had gone off of all of my medication within three weeks of meeting him. At, at 21 years old, living in a ski town in the Southern Rockies, I was totally enamored with him. And within three weeks, we were moving in together. And then I think less than a month after that, I went off of all of my medication, um, including birth control. So I had been on this birth control for about five years, probably longer. I'd also been on um, antidepressants and mood stabilizers, um, having had experience with mental illness in high school. And then cut to Eight months later, we're moving across the country. We're in a Motel 6 in Las Vegas, and my ex had decided to purchase cocaine. So he was high, and we had sex, and he did not get off of me. He ejaculated inside of me, did not get off of me. It was extremely uncomfortable and scary, and we end up finishing our move. We moved to a ski town in... Northern California in the height of the drought. (laughs) So there was no snow. So I'm working at the ski resort. He is gainfully unemployed as he generally was. And on my way into work one day at the ski resort, I threw up in the middle of the parking lot. And I thought it was because we were on this raw food kick because he was always on some new kick. And I thought it was from this raw smoothie I'd had for breakfast. Come to find out, I get home after work. I'm actually cut because it was so 
effing slow. <laughs> um, and I go home and he's like, you should take a pregnancy test. So I take a pregnancy test and it's positive. And it was like my world just dropped my whole life. Like the life I thought I was reaching for, everything I was dreaming of. I was going to be going back to school. I was going to be, I had just gotten a job, a fine dining job at this resort. I was really enjoying it. I was hoping to go for like every dream kind of flashed before me, everything I wanted. And I just looked at this person who at the time I was extremely in love with and he left it up to me. Like I knew we were in a really unhealthy relationship and I was extremely codependent. I, I did not feel confident or safe to leave. Um, and he said, whatever you want to do, not in a way that was like, whatever you want to do, I'll support you. I have your back. It was like, well, this is up to you. You mm. get to decide. And I had no fucking money. Like I had a mm. car. I was barely making any money because I kept getting cut because there was no snow. <laughs> like, Oh my God. It was awful. It was like, and I just remember we ordered like the sampler family sampler platter from the shitty barbecue restaurant, like, you know, up the street from us. And I just remember crying, eating chicken fingers, like crying my fucking eyes out, eating chicken fingers. Like, what am I going to do? So it was, I think, I don't remember what happened next, but I knew I was like, I cannot, I, I kind of thought of all the possibilities. And one way I, or one line of thought went to, well, I love him. And I saw all this like potential in him when he was embodying his, what I now would call his higher self. He was a wonderful person. He was extremely creative. He was like, we had, we could have this beautiful life together and his and my mental health and the symptoms thereof, like were preventing us from living this life. Like we, we had no fucking hope. And I stayed in this relationship for four and a half years (laughs) and this Mm. was eight, nine months in, in January and I'm 22 years old. And, um, so I thought of all that and I was like, I just remember crying and crying and saying like, but I want to go back to school. Like I pictured me at 26 or something, having a three-year-old and being like what I was at that point, I was going back for a nursing degree. That was what I was interested in. And like, what was I going to do with a, like an infant? How was I going to go to school? How was I going to graduate? Like, how was I going to do anything that I wanted to do? I wasn't because he was over here, like really struggling to, to hold down a job. And I, I was supporting us and my, my parents were really supporting us in so many ways. Um, so I decided this other hand that I held the scenario of, what I really want out of my life, which was, I really wanted like to go back to school. I wanted to be financially independent. I wanted to travel. I wanted to like learn Brazilian Portuguese. I wanted to get my, love that. go through these levels of like my ski instructor um, certifications. I wanted to do all these things. And I was like, I can't fucking do that if I have a baby. And then I decided, okay, I'm going to have an abortion, which was like, just, you know, awful to come to that, that decision. And the question of, 
how do you do that? I called Planned Parenthood, or I made an appointment, I think. I don't think I'd even told anybody yet. I think I must have researched how much it was, or I don't know, but I ended up calling... Yeah, I think I knew how much it was before I I went down. The anyway, so it ended up being it was going to be $1000 to get an abortion. Mm, wow. <laughs> Planned Parenthood. Like are Jesus. you fucking I was shocked. This is That's a lot of money. It's a lot. This was 8 almost 9 years ago. Like that was <laughs> Are you kidding? $1000? That's like that's a lot of money to me to day as yeah. a 36 year old like that's an insane <laughs> amount of money for a medical procedure and I was just like wait what like I called planned parenthood I mm-hmm. I knew I was like this is where people go who don't have money and it was a thousand dollars and mm-hmm. they so I ended up I think this was before I even went for the appointment but I determined I called my sister because that I was like where am I going to get this fucking money I can't tell my parents. I grew up Catholic and I, and I remember my parents, at least my, I don't, I just remember there being family conversations about people that were in my sister's grade who had had abortions, who had gotten abortions. And I remember it being like really shameful and like, wow, she got herself pregnant, like blaming that kind of thing. So I was like, I'm not telling anybody. And my dad is pretty conservative politically because he's a capitalist and so he votes with his most important issue and my I was like well I don't know how far that belief extends like does it does it extend to abortion and reproductive rights as well so I called my sister and I was just like a fucking mess on the phone with her and luckily she had savings she had money and she was like a student teacher at this time making probably 25k living with my parents or maybe she oh. like she had no money too, but she had savings. And so she said, I'm going to pay for it, um, <sighs> which is incredible. And what's so amazing is that like, I had a sibling who could wire me $1,100 because we used Western Union because there was no Venmo. Mm-hmm. We didn't know how to use PayPal. I, we tried to use our, like our mute, our bank accounts that, you know, we'd had since we were kids, but we realized that we couldn't transfer between our accounts and we didn't want, you know, our mom to see it because she was, you know, had opened them for us. And so she wires me $1,100. I pick it up at like, you know, the shitty Rite Aid or whatever, wherever the Western Union was like, oh my God, I'd already been in there to get the pregnancy test. And then what's wild is like, I had a working car, I had to drive two fucking hours away, like the nearest Planned Parenthood, because you have this window of time to get your abortion, to to make sure, like, they got to check that you're pregnant, even though you already know you're pregnant, because you just threw up in the parking Mm. lot on your way into work, and your skin's been going crazy for weeks, and, Mm. like, all these crazy things, and you've been having crazy dreams, and sweating, and, like, your body's changing, and I had to drive two hours to, like you know, middle, I'd never been to this place. My partner was working, like my ex was working his shitty job. So I had to go alone. And I go in Mm. there like, Oh my God, money for gas. I got cut too from my fine dining job. I didn't even have to ask for the time off because it was so slow. There was like no work anyways. And I just remember going in there like 
luckily there was nobody outside protesting, but that was something I had like, oh, thank God, had in my mind. That's totally. like, what happens totally. in Ironhead. I think from Seventh mm-hmm. Heaven or something. I don't know. I just remember watching like oh, that's them all the time in the city still. Oh, really? Yeah. Oh, yeah. Every day. Every day. It's so fucked up. It's just, it was really scary. And I like, I think I was one of the only white people and which, you know, like, thank God I have all these resources. Um, I don't know what everyone else is dealing with. And I remember like, you know, you go in, you get an ultrasound. I was seven weeks. I was so lucky to be that early. And I think this is within a week of me taking the pregnancy test. They asked me what I want to do. I say, this is what I want to do. I want to have an abortion. I, they said I could do the pill, the medication abortion, which because I was like, well, my my boyfriend at the time, he wasn't going to be able to come with me because it was two hours away. And I didn't, you know, the, the what is it? The surgical abortion or the, that procedure, like you need a ride. And I was like, well, I don't have a ride. I'm my ride. So I chose the medication abortion. And then after I make this decision, they bring someone in to remind me about what's going to happen and like to talk to me about the severity and the importance of this decision. And I'm just looking at them like I did not ejaculate inside of myself. Like, (laughs) like, no, you did not. I know what I'm doing. Like, do you know how hard it's been for me to get here? And I didn't tell any coworkers. Like I didn't tell anybody for, I don't know, probably, I think years after I ended up telling some coworkers, but anyway, so then I go home with this prescription for, or maybe they filled it. I don't know for the pill, the medication abortion. And it was like, maybe that was the night that I, that we got the, I think that might've been actually the night that we got this shitty barbecue. And I'm like, convulsing on the bed I'm like crying over the bucket of chicken fingers I'm I'm nauseous as fuck like it was horrible horrible and I I like I don't remember my ex being like supportive or kind Mm. or understanding I remember him kind of looking at me like I don't know maybe it's hindsight because that was something he held over me in his darkest hours, in his most horrible oh moments when he was the drunkest, when he was the meanest, when like probably even the night that I had to call 911, which ultimately ended our relationship, like he held it over me. You aborted my baby. You didn't want <gasps> our baby. You oh. never wanted a life with me. And I was like, are you kidding me? Like, <laughs> Oh my God. He never fought for it. He never advocated for it. He didn't have any fucking money. Like, what were we going to mm. do? <laughs> mm. Yeah. So, and then I had to go back again to make sure it worked. <laughs> oh, that's the worst. And I'm just like going, like, I don't want to deal with this. Yeah. I'm like, I feel I horrible. Think about it. It was, yeah. it was really scary. And at the time I did not have community. I did not have support. I didn't, I mean, had I told my coworkers, they, I think I've told them a couple months later and they were like, Oh my God, like I would have loved to support you through that. They were amazing. I, I really lucked out, but, um, yeah, I mean, I just graduated from college like at 30 and the two weeks before my graduation, a reporter came up to me on campus and asked me about my thoughts on 
the Roe v. Wade decision, the leak by the Supreme Court. And I told him, this reporter, I said, I would not be here. I would probably not be alive. If I had that baby, I who knows what might have happened in that relationship. Like, I'm. it is a huge deal. People having access to reproductive care and people being able to make autonomous decisions about their bodies. Like I lucked out and it was horrible. I had Mm. the, like the odds were stacked in my favor and it was horrible. Mm. And had I been a person of color, had I been a person who didn't have a sister with $1,100 that they could just wire, like I paid her back seven years later and she never expected a dime of it. Like I'm so lucky. So, yeah, I mean, this is a huge issue and people like, I wish people shared more and normalized the fuck out of abortion and this. Yeah, it's not something I told my parents like seven years after it happened. I didn't like Mm -hmm. I didn't need to keep that a secret. I didn't need to. But -hmm. our society like, you know, told us that told me that or I received this message that. Right. It was shameful. It was bad. It was, how could you? You let yourself. Mm. I didn't impregnate myself. <laughs> mm. So much guilt and shame. So much. Like, I am so honored that you shared that story with us today. Seriously. It's, it is so, like, my takeaway is like, it is so hard. There's enough shame already in going through the process. The idea that someone, that some states are making it now illegal and you'll, You'll have to, first of all, get gather the funds and then find another state to go travel to to go get this done while dealing with all of that guilt and shame and not being able to be in your own bed while it's happening if you're doing the pill or being able to go to your own bed that night if you're doing the operation. Like it, It's crazy to me that this is the state of the country that we're in. Yeah. Yeah. The um... – Yeah, very well said. There's something um, that I heard on, I think it was another podcast shortly after the Roe decision was made official. And the guest said, we are hospicing Roe and we need to be midwives for what's next because this was too fragile. Like this was this Roe v. Wade, the decision was too fragile of a ruling to actually serve what it needs to serve to, to provide the care and the protection and the support to all people. And yeah, this isn't, I I hear a lot of like our bodies, our choice. It's not just about us. It's about who's coming after us. What are they going to do? What do they need? Who's the 22 year old version of, of me who's out there right now? Who's like, what's she going to do? What's, what's the person, what's the trans person going to do? What's, you know, someone who's been, impregnated against their will like what are they going to do so thank you sarah for yeah shedding light on this this is i think a lot of personal development minded platforms don't want to talk about this stuff and it's fucking huge because it's hello, huge. shame guilt fear like yep. <laughs> yeah all the big ones mm-hmm. yeah. yeah this is personal development i would love for you to just share like what are your thoughts on getting pregnant and having children now yeah, like you're older. Like, is that a goal of yours someday? Like, are, yeah, I feel I find that so many people conflate being pro-choice with not wanting babies, and like, 
hello, I'm pro-choice. I'm pregnant right now. We're recording and I'm pregnant right now. I've had an abortion and I am pregnant right now. Like, I just love to hear, you know, we, like, what are your thoughts on that in the future? I absolutely, I mean, right now I'm fairly, I'm probably 95% certain I want to be a parent. And, and I was surprised at that time in my life, like how badly I, I felt in my body that it wanted to be pregnant. Like I, my Mm. biology was like, we want, I thought about babies a lot. It was so weird. And I was so emotionally not ready for it. And now I'm like, I'd be a killer mom. Like I would be a fucking amazing parent. And whether that's a child that I, I birthed through my own body or a child that I adopt or, or something, or even fostering, I take parenthood. I'm also, I'm, my partner has children who are, they're older, but like I take being around kids as a privilege. Like it's, it's a, it's a major responsibility and I very much, I want to have kids on my own terms. And that was one of the things that when I paid my sister back, it was actually the morning of her wedding. That was when I decided I like got out of the shower, you know, the days before I was going there, maybe it wasn't the morning. That was, I think when I told my, my parents was like right before the wedding. But I told her on that trip home and I got out of the shower and I was like, oh my God, I have to pay her back and I have to tell everybody. <laughs> like, I have to start talking about this. <laughs> because my sister, she has a process and like she wants to, she has been that person who from like from the jump, she has cared about kids. She's a teacher, like she's babysat. She loves kids. She wants to be a mother and her body might not be able to carry a, a child. And I was like, energetically, I'm, I'm like closing this out. Like she had nothing to do with not bringing a baby into the world. Like we're even now she's on, she has a great. And for me, I, I trust that like, if I'm meant to be a mother, if I'm meant to have a child of my own, it will happen. But no, fuck that shit. Like we don't care about babies. Like what about after birth? (laughs) What happens then? Yeah. Yeah. Yes. Thank you for saying that. Yeah. Uh, it's it, to me, it's like, we, yeah, we need to be caring. If we, if we're saying we're caring about babies, we need to be providing daycare and so many more care and treatment for, for moms and babies and after school programs and like so many other things. Yeah. Nutrition. And I mean, Mm. it's insane what's been happening with, um, formula too. And in this country in the, the months following Roe v. Wade being struck down is like, and you say you care about babies. Like, yeah, <laughs> I don't think it's so. It's crazy. It's crazy. Well, Megan, thank you so much for sharing with us today. I really appreciate it. Thank you, Sarah. It is such an honor. And yeah, to feel, to be witnessed by you and your audience, I really, really appreciate. This is a growing moment for 22-year-old Megan, who's still inside Aww. me. Oh, she's, she's being vulnerable. She's sharing with the world. Yes. <laughs> I love it. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you so much for listening to today's episode. I really hope you enjoyed. I hope that these stories resonate with you and shed light on how abortions are actually used by real women 
and people with uteruses um, in this country. And if you're interested in following along with our guests, so huge thanks to our guests for being on the show today, Megan and Ashley. If you are interested in following along with what Ashley is up to, you can visit her Instagram at Mrs. Robinson. <laughs> so cute. And then uh, you can also follow along with her her event invitation business, which is called Type A Studio. You can visit them at typeastudio.com or on Instagram at type A underscore studio. And her new business venture called Cram Baby, you can find out more at crambaby.com. That's K-R-A-N-B-A-B.com. And if you're interested in following along with Megan Sprague, she can be found on Instagram at Megan Sprague, S-P-R-A-G-U-E. And if you're um, looking for her website, you can go to meetmegansprague.com. Again, her last name is spelled S-P-R-A-G-U-E. And of course, if you enjoyed today's episode, please, please, please rate and review the show. This helps us to get guests for the show and get sponsorships of the show and um, just basically spread the love and the free resources that are offered on the on this podcast. And um, perhaps you have a friend that has, you know, gone through something like this or is passionate about abortion rights. Please share this episode with them. I'm sure they will enjoy it. Of course, I just want to say I love you so much. I wish you the best on your healing journey wherever you are right now, uh, exactly as you are right now. (laughs) And we will see you back here next week. Thanks so much. 